James chapter 2, and at this point we're up to verse 13. We had kind of um, gone over a little bit of that yes, uh, last week, hadn't got quite all the way through this part of the passage. But um, here in the first part of uh, James chapter 2, he's been talking about being partial or showing partiality, favoritism, or discrimination. Um, you remember in the beginning of the chapter, he says, if you treat one man one way just because he appears to be wealthy, and on the other hand, you treat a person who appears to be poor and you treat him poorly, um, you are become judges of evil thoughts. And um, he goes on, verse 9, he says, if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Transgressors. For whosoever, in verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. Verse 12, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. That's where that this particular section ends. And like I said, we didn't quite get to the end of that, and I'd like to finish that up today. <clears throat> we might move on, we might not, well, depending how we go here. But in verse 12, we were discussing this last week and talking about what it meant here when he says, So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. We talked about what the law of liberty is. There are two laws. One is the law, the Old Testament or the Mosaic law, and there is it's contrasted here to the law of liberty. What does the law, the Old Testament law, what does it do? Of course, Paul talks about this in the book of Romans and he talks about the function of the law. The law actually was given to define sin. There's no law, then you can't break the law, so how will you know what is right or wrong? But the law defined what was wrong, what was, what was to be forbidden, what God did not accept. And so the law entered and it defined sin for us. But the law can only condemn because man is a sinner. Every man is a sinner by birth. He's a sinner by choice. And so whosoever shall try to keep the whole law and yet offend in one small point, the Bible says here he is guilty of all. Every one of us are lawbreakers. There's not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And so the law puts everyone on this earth in the same category. We are all guilty before God. And the law condemns. Of course, that is why Jesus Christ came. He came to provide salvation so that man could be reconciled or brought back into fellowship with God. And what Jesus did there on the cross is he died taking God's wrath for sin and God punished Christ in my stead. And so those who receive Jesus Christ by faith, God considers to be righteous. That doesn't mean we never sin, but God has declared us to be righteous because of the righteousness of his son being applied to our account. And when we are in Christ... God sees us as he sees his son, and he sees us as being righteous 
positionally righteous. We are justified. That's what that word means, to be justified, to be declared righteous. Now, the Old Testament law could only condemn. Those who are in Christ, the Bible says, are under the law of liberty. And again, in James, and of course we're talking about this in Galatians, being free from the law, free from the law, free from the condemnation of the law. In the, the law of liberty, <clears throat> he says, So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. When we're in Christ, we are free from the condemnation of the law. We're free from the law. Does that mean that we are without law or that we are lawless or that we can do just as we please? No. Liberty and license are two different things. License is, well, I can do whatever I want with no consequences, or I can determine the consequences for myself. We can't live that way. But the Bible says that we have liberty in Christ. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And we are going to be judged by the law of liberty. Judgment by the law of liberty is a judgment, really, of our works based on our position in Christ. Because we are in Christ, how do we live? Well, if we're in Christ, then we ought to be living above the law. Now, I don't mean by being above the law as being a criminal, thinking you're above the law, but what in, in Christ, we fulfill the law. And of course, the law being boiled down into those two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those who are in Christ ought to be living that way. And so the law of liberty frees us from the condemnation of sin, frees us really from the power of sin so that we might live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. But we are going to be judged by the law of liberty. It's not a law that condemns, but it is a law, the law of liberty has freed us to please God. And we're going to be held accountable to the way we've lived. Have we lived in such a way that has been honoring to the Lord? He comes down here now to verse 13. This is where we left off last week. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth or triumphs against judgment. <clears throat> There's two key words in this verse, and they appear twice. Judgment, well, mercy appears three times. Um, but judgment and mercy... Judgment and mercy. He shall have judgment without mercy. Judgment without mercy. How does that sound to you? It sounds pretty uh, final. It sounds hopeless, doesn't it? When if, if you stand before a judge, what are you hoping for? Mercy. When you get pulled over by a police officer for speeding, what are you hoping for? Mercy. <laughs> you're guilty, and you're hoping for mercy. But here this verse says, He shall have judgment without mercy, who hath what? Who hath showed no mercy. Judgment without mercy for those who have showed no mercy. What is the definition of the word mercy? How do you define mercy? Okay, something you don't deserve. Well, that would be grace. If you receive 
that which is good, which you do not deserve. But what is mercy? Compassion. Knowing that uh, you should get the hammer, but it's restricted. Okay. So, right. So mercy is not receiving what you deserve. Grace, on the one hand, is receiving that which you did not deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, is not receiving what you did deserve. And so when you stand before the judge and he shows mercy, what is he doing? Well, he's not punishing you to the extent that he could. And so that is mercy. He shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. There's a great story in this scripture that illustrates this point. Jesus gave it back in Matthew chapter 18. Keep your finger there in James, but if you'll turn back with me to Matthew chapter 18, there's a great illustration of this, this principle. Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> Get right there. Beginning at verse 23. Jesus is there speaking to his disciples. He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. How much was 10,000 talents worth? Didn't matter. It was like $10 million, right? It's nothing he could have paid off in his lifetime. It was an exorbitant amount. I don't know if his wife got a hold of his credit cards or what, but this guy, he owed 10,000 talents. He was, he was way, way over, way over his head. He could not, he could not pay. There was no way he could pay this. So here, this servant is one who owed him 10,000 talents, but for as much as he had not to pay. His Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife, and children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. At least the king could recover a fraction. The servant, therefore, fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. It's almost comical. There's no way he could have. What's he asking for? mercy. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him or released him and forgave him the debt. Wow. There is a description of mercy. There is a description of mercy. Now, let me just pause here for just a second. What the master or that Lord did is very different than Biden forgiving student loans. Do you recognize that? This is not a political sermon, not at all. What's the difference? Can you tell me the difference? Because I have heard this loan, student loan forgiveness compared to you know, Jesus having mercy on people or this type of a... And I'm like, so let me ask you. This is, this is free, but I want you to think here. What is the difference Okay, it's not a forgiveness. So the difference here is what I see is that the person that owed the ten thousand talents no way was able gonna be able to pay that. And you have the just king and lord that says, Look, I should crush you, I should punish you, I should put you in prison for this, but I'm now falling back. That that is that that has nothing to do with this comparison. No, now, see, Biden doesn't, you don't owe the money to Biden. Yes, 
Did Biden make the loans? Is Biden forgiving someone who owes him something? No, he's forgiving on your behalf without your permission. Or he goes, I'm just going to forgive. You owe this to this creditor, this creditor, this creditor. But I am going to absolve you. Wait a minute. This guy says, wait a second. He owes me that money. That's my money. It's not yours to forgive. That's the difference. That's called theft. Now, here's what's going on here. The Lord or the master here was the one that that servant owed the money to. He had every right to collect. He also had the right to forgive. And he chose to forgive. That is mercy. If you owe, if, if, if Aiden, if you owed Mr. Caproni here $50,000, and I, and, I <laughs> and I said, Aiden, I forgive you of your debt to Mr. Caproni. You say, wait a second. <laughs> How can that be? Now, again, like I said, that's what's going on there politically. So there's a huge difference. Do not let anyone you know, confuse the two. One is theft. The other is, now, if Ken Caproni forgives the debt, that's completely his business because the debt is owed him. He has the power to do that. So back to the scriptures here. The Lord had compassion. He was moved with compassion, loosed him, and forgave him the debt. What a great illustration of mercy. But unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. We come to verse 28. But the same servant, the one who was just forgiven, went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him an hundred pence. There is quite a quantitative difference between a hundred pence and 10,000 talents. Um, Doesn't even compare. He owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Well, but he would not. Would not show mercy, but went and cast him into prison, or debtor's prison, Till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt, because thou desiredst me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, angry, and delivered him unto the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. That is a very powerful statement. Back to James chapter 2. He shall have judgment without mercy, who hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. When it says here, he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, that is exactly what happened in Matthew chapter 18 to that servant. What happened to that servant? Well, 
It's a, it's a parable, but obviously it's implied he spent the rest of his life in jail. And that was the end. Never saw the light of day again. That was it. He shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy. But the, but the, the powerful thing, though, is what Jesus said at the end of that parable. He said, so shall my father do unto you if you don't show mercy or if you do not forgive others their trespasses. What does that mean? It's very plain. What did Jesus say? If you don't, what? If you don't forgive others, you're going to hell. You're going to hell because God will not forgive you of your sins. That's exactly what he said. Don't mince words about it. Don't question it. That's exactly what he says. My father will not forgive you if you from your heart do not forgive your brother his trespasses. Now, don't look at me shocked. This isn't, this isn't new doctrine. This is what this verse means. So what do we learn? Those who do not show mercy know nothing of God's mercy. And a person who knows nothing of God's mercy is one who is lost. You see, you put yourself in the position of the one who owed 10,000 talents. We are all in that position. We are all sinners, guilty before God, with absolutely no way in our own power to rectify the situation and make things right with God. We cannot do that. We can do all the good works we can. And what does the Bible say? All of our good works heaped together doesn't merit God's favor. God does not accept man's righteousness. It's not good enough because it is not perfect righteousness. So God will not accept that. God does not accept my good works. I, you, and I are like that servant who owed 10,000 talents. There's no way we could pay that debt. However, Jesus Christ died. And he died so that what? So that God could show mercy upon us. Because I want you to, I want you to realize something. This verse here says, mercy rejoices against judgment, or mercy triumphs over judgment. May I ask you, how on earth can mercy triumph over judgment? How can that be? Judgment is deserved. Judgment must be met, or it's not righteous. Think about that. How can mercy triumph over judgment? Let me put it in these words. This will make the answer extremely clear. How can God be merciful to us and still be just? Because judgment has been met. God didn't just say, oh, well, I'll just forget about it and just write it off. And No, 
That wouldn't be holy. That wouldn't be just. God cannot be loving at the expense of his justice. God cannot be merciful at the expense of righteousness. No, at the end of the day, those columns, that accounting has to even out. And so how does he do it? He judged his son. Jesus Christ took the judgment so that God could be merciful to me, a sinner. Therefore, if I, having been forgiven that unpayable debt that I owed God because of my sin, I couldn't pay it, so Jesus Christ stepped in and he paid it for me. If I turn around and hold a grudge and refuse to forgive any one of my brothers and sisters, what do I demonstrate? You see, you forgiving a brother or sister in Christ for maybe something they've done for you is like forgiving a hundred pence compared to what God has forgiven you. Hang on. So, therefore, there's a, con- there's a comparison here. If I refused to forgive the offenses of others, if I refuse forgiveness, I demonstrate that I know nothing of God's forgiveness, which means I am lost. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. Now, do you understand what Jesus meant when there in Matthew chapter 18 he says, So shall my Father likewise do unto you. If ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. That's a startling statement. But you know what? Christians are forgiven people, and Christians are also forgiving people. If we are not forgiving people, we just demonstrate that we've never been forgiven. He says here, if ye from your heart forgive not everyone his brother their trespass. Who are you going to hold a grudge against? Okay, remember this. And I've said this before. Your forgiveness of someone else is what? It's refusing, it's refusing to do something. Okay, refusing to hold a grudge. You say, well, this guy's not a believer. So therefore, I have every right to do what? Withhold mercy. Really? When did God have mercy on you? While you were yet sinners, Christ died. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now remember this. A benefit of forgiveness is of no use to those who do not ask for it. But, okay, so someone does you wrong, and they don't ask for your forgiveness. Are you stuck eternally in this state of, well, I can't forgive them because they never asked? Wrong. 
The benefit of forgiveness is only for those who confess, ask for forgiveness. But the bitterness that comes from refusing to be forgiving will sting the one who holds the grudge. So just because someone doesn't ask you for forgiveness does not mean you, you treat them like dirt when you see them. Oh, no, you let it go. Are they responsible for asking forgiveness? Are they responsible for taking care of their offense? Absolutely. And they're going to answer to God for that. But you'll answer to God for the way you responded. Have you ever had someone do you wrong and never come back and ask you for forgiveness? Okay, are you bitter? You better not be. You better not be. You can be forgiving without the person asking you for forgiveness. And that's important because if you don't, you will become bitter. And every time you think of that person, what will you think of? He wronged me. What a creep. Okay, and then, and, and, and does that bother him? No, he doesn't lay, at night, lay awake at night thinking, oh, my conscience, I have trouble. You know, no, but you're going to sit there and get an ulcer over your refusal to be gracious and forgiving. That takes a real man. Well, yeah, and, and, and as a believer, it takes a real man right. to do that and understand God's mercy and His grace. Um, so, so, say a person's wronged and that other person never asked for forgiveness and this person that had been wronged is like, they're, they're feeling it, like, man, that's messed up what they did to me. And so they just... Keep it, keep it, keep it. So with the statement to the person who's been wronged, the statement can never be listened. They're, even though they're not asking for forgiveness, you just forgive because you understand forgiveness. You don't have to go look for them and make it right. You don't have to go ask them to make it right with you. You make it right with yourself and God because you know that you've been forgiven. You release them. Let it go. I remember, I remember this, and my dad loaned a man in our church when I was a kid, loaned him $5,000. The man never repaid my dad. And I thought, what? I can't believe that guy stole from my dad. And I remember talking to my dad about it one time. I mean, I didn't know about this when I was a little kid. I learned about it later on. So I asked him, I said, what did you do about that? He goes, he goes, I let it go. Because if I hadn't, every time I'd see that man, I'd think, you owe me $5,000. <laughs> he goes, I can't do that. He's a brother in Christ. Right. Now, was it right for the man to do that? No, of course. He owed the money. He should have repaid it. But my dad can't make him repay it. Right. And so I learned from my dad. Never let anybody borrow your money. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> no. Here's what he said. And this is the point my dad made. I've never forgotten it. He goes... You lend, if you're going to lend, you'd be willing to write it off and never see it again. Because you may never see it again. And if you hold bitterness towards someone because they didn't pay you back, it's not going to hurt them. It'll ruin you. So if you're not willing to lend without hope of receiving again, then don't lend. But then you better work on your selfishness. You know what I'm saying? So there's there's the right perspective. And Jesus even mentions that. Lend without hoping to receive. 
on the other person's part, yes, they're going to answer to God for not paying back what they owe. But you know what? I'm free from hanging on to that because when I let it go, whether I see it again or not, I've, you know, I've, got to, I've got to be willing to let that go and not see it again. sign I think that we have for ourselves to see we're going down the non-forgiveness path is to ask ourselves have we been offended we should never be offended if we're offended we're not forgiving okay who have you got a grudge against who comes to mind oh you're going to mention someone I saw you raise your hand who is it <laughs> tell us no. <laughs> okay do you go then to that person who has offended you and say I'd like to forgive you Sometimes they don't even know that they have done something to you, that you've taken it in the wrong way or something. Or do you just forgive them before God? If you can't, if you can't get over it, go talk to them. But if you can, let it go. Why can't we? I mean, it's a simple principle. Don't be offended about anything. Right. Even if you look funny in your mind, if you look... You know, bad in your mother dresses you funny, whatever. Don't be offended. No. So don't take offense. Don't take offense. But if someone wrongs you, yes. How many, how many times, I think it's, again, put this back in perspective. How many times have you wronged somebody else? Yeah. You ever wronged somebody else inadvertently? Probably at least twice as many times as I've been to you. Right. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm always kind of aware of that because the Bible says in the multitude of words are one of not foolishness. And I say a lot of words, and I know there's a lot of opportunity that I have to offend people because I talk. If I didn't open my mouth so much, I probably wouldn't offend many people. But the fact is, if we talk, if we open our mouths, and James talks about that in James chapter 3, it's easier for us to offend others. We need to be careful about that. Now, of course, Jesus talks about that in Matthew, talks about dealing with offenses. And again, if you see someone else doing wrong, you go to them to help them. If someone else has wronged you, then if you can't get over it, or if it's, if it's bothering you, then go talk to the person. If it's bothering you, the question is, why is it bothering you? Is it just because you're sensitive and you got your feathers ruffled? Or is there really something sinful involved that needs to be addressed and your care and love for that person demands that you go and confront them in love? There's a big difference there. Listen, we rub shoulders with sinners every day, okay? And we are sinners too, so we're going to bump into people. And if I get upset every time someone bumps into me, I got an issue. I got a problem, okay? So this is, and by the way, this is really the key to the harmony of the body of Christ. It's taking care of those things, being forgiving, showing mercy, showing mercy. Mercy. You have a question back there? Yeah, I do have a question. That example that you just gave us about your dad, that he allowed that man to borrow $5,000. I know we need to forgive, but isn't it wise, Pastor? Now I wonder. Let's say someone come and ask you for money and never pay you. And that person, since you forgive him, and that person comes again, and he wants to borrow more for you, is it wise to keep you mean if he didn't pay me back? He didn't pay you back and you forgive him. And he wants, and he wants more money? Uh-huh. He wants to borrow more money. Yeah, how stupid are you? <laughs> that we call that person a sucker right now. No, I just know Here's what I mean. Okay. Now listen. Here, listen. We forgive them. 
Yes. Right. Okay. Now, you can do what you want with what is yours. If you want to lend again to a person who has not paid you, and you're willing to take that risk again, then you go right ahead. There's nothing wrong with you doing that. It may not be the wisest decision you've ever made. Okay? And in fact, it could be very foolish. But that is on you. That is your responsibility as a steward of what God has entrusted to your care. Now, personally, if someone comes and borrows money from me and they say they're going to pay it back and then they don't and they come and want money again, well, I'm going to say, well, you know, I don't think that's a, what I ought to do. Now, on the other hand, hang on, but on the other hand, if someone borrows money from me and doesn't pay it back, and then later on down the road, I see them in grave need, do I withhold help because, oh, but he didn't pay me back? No. I treat him as if he didn't owe me anything, and he needs some help. He's destitute. He's in need. What am I going to do? Uh, am I going to hold a grudge? Well, yeah, this is, this is what happens when you don't pay your debts. You end up in the hand. You're just getting what you deserve. Uh, be it far from me to step in between God's judgment of you for not paying me back. <laughs> is that merciful? No. I, I trow not. <laughs> okay, I think not. So, again, wisdom. But here's this verse. He shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. Listen, we need to be merciful people. Merciful people. Because the motive for us showing mercy is that we have been showed infinite mercy. Unmeasurable mercy. We've been forgiven 10,000 talents, so to speak. So there's no problem with us forgiving the little hundred pences that run into us on a daily or whatever basis. Forgive. All right. So, I didn't get to the next section. That's okay. I want you to note something here. Now, did anybody have any questions or comments on that? Because I'm going to change courses for the last 45 seconds of this message. Anyone have any? Okay. I, I think it's clear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, come deal with your fences later. Okay. I want you to note the next section from 14 to 26, the next second half of chapter 2. I want you to note how many questions are asked. I want you to look through this before we talk about it next week. Next week I'll be, Lord willing, bringing a message on... I don't think I'll get 14 through 26 all in there. But as you look through this passage, note the questions. Note the questions. I don't usually start a message off with questions. But this passage here, what doth it profit? Okay. Verse 14 has two questions. Second half, can faith save him? There's the question. There's another question down in verse 16. Okay. What doth it profit? He goes on further. Verse 20. Don't you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? 
And there's more questions. Now the question, verse 21. Now the question, verse 22. Now the question, verse 25. This passage is full of questions. What is a question designed to do? It elicits a response or an answer. And so these are direct questions which you must answer. And so before we come to this passage next week, I want you to come with the answers. I'll supply the questions. You supply the answers. Okay. Now, note the questions. I think it's fascinating. And listen, I've been through James. I've memorized it at least twice. I've been through James many times. It's a great book. But just because I've been through it many times doesn't mean I have plumbed the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. I have not. And this really stood out to me this time as I went through this chapter thinking, hey, he's really sending some strong questions here and you must answer them. They're not just, well, these are rhetorical questions. No, they have an answer. So take a look at that for next week. All right, well, let's have a word of prayer. We'll take a break between the services. Father, we thank you for the passage before us today that we've looked at. Lord, we thank you for the mercy which you have showed toward us. Father, may we demonstrate our salvation through being merciful and forgiving to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.